Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. everybody and welcome to another episode of To Be Discussed with Cup and Gurr. My name is Callum Gurr and I'll be joined by my co-host and political officer George Cup. Hello everyone, this evening Callum and I will prove to you that you can have impassioned debates whilst holding vastly different opinions without falling out at the end of the night. So this evening we will be discussing, has populism peaked? How would you rate the government's handling of the coronavirus outbreak? And lastly, do you believe in karma? With each of these discussions being accompanied by polls, would you have the chance to vote on at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen? And these discussions will be open until the end of the sun break between each topic. But first, last week we asked for you guys to send in your opinions on the question, what moment has defined you as a person to date? And we've had some really, really good um, responses to this question. Uh, so the first uh, response is from Yuan, or, or Yuan. Uh, sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong. Uh, and Yuan said, I think my defining moment was when my grandma died. She was the first person in my life who I really knew that passed away. And it had such a big effect on me because before then I'd never really had to think about what happens when people die. I was 10 years old and obviously I knew that people die. I'd seen famous people die and stuff like that, but I'd never really thought about the impact it has on you when someone you love dies. 
the whole process of going through that made me think about who I am, what I want to achieve, and really taught me to live every day to its fullest, because one day someone can be there, and the next they're gone. My grandma was old, and it wasn't really a big surprise, but it came faster than most of us were expecting, and I hadn't really deeped it before then. George, what do, what do you make of that? I mean, obviously, it's I mean, it's something, unfortunately, both you and I have had had to face obviously with grandparents dying i mean what do you make of the impact that's had on on yuan i think that um it, it's it's definitely a thing that makes you it's something that makes you um look at life differently when you have someone that you love that is very close to you um pass away and especially when it's the first um member of your family or or, or close friend or something like that um pass away it really really does make you take a step back and have a look at the way maybe you're living your life and, the, and the, your outlook on how you've lived your life um, and, and would go on to live your life. Um, I mean, in, if I look at my own personal experience in losing uh, my last and latest, my, my nana, um, that was the, the hardest one for me. And I, and I definitely think that it was um, it's defined who I am today in terms of making sure, as Joanna said here, uh, making sure that you live your life to the maximum possible every single day. Because unfortunately, I mean, yes, it may be quite a, a, a depressing way to look at life, but you do you don't know when it is going to end. So you have to make sure that you go out, you wake up and you live your life to the max and you get put everything into anything you do. Um, and, and I think that it's, it's moments that um, where we see unfortunately relatives and friends die, which really do define us as a person um, where we are able to to actually evaluate our lives and, and look at ourselves um, and think, yes, we've got to do this. We've got to move on. And um, and sometimes it can actually make you kind of better. It can make you a better person, have a better approach to life. Um, what are your thoughts, though, Callum? Yeah, I think it's a, a really good lesson to, to have kind of taken from what is obviously a very unfortunate experience. I mean, I mean, as um, Joanne says, um, quite often when when grandparents die you know they they normally are obviously more more elderly and you you do sometimes expect it but that in no way uh can really lessen the pain that um mm. you can feel when this kind of thing happens but but i think it also is very much good to take this lesson and um, that you've learned of living your life to the fullest and I think that's something we kind of all could do a little bit more sometimes but but I think that's really kind of nice that that's to find you as a person to date but but not necessarily in in a, in a wholly negative way mm, no absolutely um our next opinion is from Josh and he says the defining moment of my life uh, was when I decided to accept that I was gay that was much more significant to me than when I actually came out to my friends and family I was 12 years old when I accepted myself and I was 14 when I finally came out I have been struggling with accepting who I was for a long time I knew that I was gay but I just ran away from it it really depressed me the moment I sat myself down and accepted me for me I felt like a new person and that I could just live my life as me without being afraid of myself. Coming out was difficult at first, but it is a constant thing. 
I'm basically coming out every time I meet someone new for the first time. But it's such a big part of who I am. And I'm proud of myself for accepting myself from such an early age. Well, Callum, that's something that Josh has got to be incredibly proud of doing. Um, and I think more, you couldn't really look for a more defining moment, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, no, that is um, a, a, a really kind of nice moment I suppose in many ways I, I think as Josh says it's it's the fact that it's not just that you've accepted the fact that you're gay in terms of um coming out to other people but the fact that you've actually truly accepted that yourself um it is amazing and of course it's something that you know anyone who who's gay should do of course because of course there's you know absolutely nothing wrong with it or anything like that so uh, I think it's it's really really nice um that 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 that's kind of the moment that's to find you as a person to date Josh and I, I'm really um pleased that you've got in touch with that opinion uh, what do you make of it um George uh yeah um if we I think it's often in our lives we do try and look back on, on things that have defined us as a person and and I think that um even though society has has got easier to to be more accepting on on those that that are are gay um I think that even still it is hard sometimes to come out and I think Josh makes an incredibly important point um that often isn't thought about I mean I I haven't really thought about it and it's the fact that when he introduces himself to someone new he has to come out to them um as it's someone new and and i think that's actually quite incredible i suppose because because you're having to build that confidence up and the trust up with that that person to 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 show them your true self um and i and i think that it, it must be hard for um coming to to terms with with not running away from the fact that you're gay and, and being able to to face up it to yourself and accepting yourself um because i think unless you truly love and accept yourself there's always that clear argument of how can you expect other people to to love yourself um if you don't respect who you truly are um and i think josh you should be incredibly incredibly proud um of the fact that you've you've been able to do that and um i think it's absolutely fantastic and definitely a defining moment in your life mm-hmm. and moving then on to our next opinion this is a a, a really thought-provoking opinion uh, it's from claudia claudia says when i was really really young my family was quite violent and it wasn't a nice place to be me and my brothers got adopted by our grandparents when i was six years old but i've seen how growing up around violence shapes who you are because some of my brothers jumped to that quite quickly they just get violent like my parents did. I feel like my defining moments have been when I've stood my ground with non-violence when confronted with violence, even when the consequences were bad and I got beaten up for it. I hate violence and I'm always proud of myself for staying away from it. I mean, George, I mean, that is, of all, of all the moments to define someone, I mean, that is remarkable isn't it really i mean it's it's kind of sent a shiver down my spine re- reading claudia's uh words there yeah uh claudia i i think that um it's it must have been incredibly hard to experience what you've gone through um and I, no one will wish it on anyone and i and i think that to be able to come out the other side of of what you've been through and to take an element of kind of positivity in in, in allowing it to develop who you are is an incredible thing for you 
you to do and not just completely blocking that out and being able to to take the bad things from that and and put a right to it i suppose by by not allowing um you to go into confrontations with a violent kind of aspect and actually trying to go into situations and calm them down um i think that is incredible and and absolutely um when so many of us look back at our past there are certain um, significant events that absolutely I'm sure many of us can say define us as to be the person that we are today I mean I mean obviously I'm sure many of them aren't as um, awful as, as, as yours Claudia but even still I think that Claudia raises such an important point about defining people in, in the fact that even if you have gone through incredibly hard times, there are still lessons to be learned from them and still reasons for you to take positives or, or change a negative into a positive to create your your life in, in a better light when you move forward. Um, what What are your thoughts on that, Callum? Yeah, I mean, I just take my hat off to you, Claudia, really. I mean, I think that's really, really remarkable, the way in which you've you face such hardship, really, and have still managed to, to come out as evidently such a good person um, with, with a commitment to, to kind of non-violent behaviour. I, th- I think that's really, really um, amazing, really. Um, George, just kind of moving past obviously everyone's really really um interesting and thought-provoking opinions what what would you say is a moment that's defined you as a person today um i i would definitely say uh my parents splitting up would probably be the the moment that defined me as a person because when my parents split up it was it was a time where um i mean i was in my very early um teenage years um i don't even think i'd reach my teenage years actually um but even still it was a time where i had to grow up very quickly um because it meant where i had to perhaps become i suppose if you like the the man of the house and and i just it, it was a time where i had to learn very quickly to do certain things at a time where someone my age possibly didn't have to try and kind of face those challenges um and i as much as it were a horrible time um i do believe that certain things definitely do happen for a reason and you know that has helped me become who i am today and and have made me be as mature as i am and and so on and so forth so yeah definitely something like that is 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 a defining moment for me how about you callum yeah i think i think it's really difficult to say one particular moment as yeah defined anyone as such but for me i think and i I can't say that I remember actually the the conversation where I found this out, but um, for for listeners who aren't aware, my my mum has um, suffered for the past five or six years, possibly longer than that, with um, a type of ovarian cancer. Um, And I suppose finding out about that, that's very much to find who I am as a person. I mean, first of all because it happened in my teenage years which is a time when quite often you don't get on with your parents you're quite rude to your parents um and it completely changed my perception of that obviously having my mum going through that and I I think I very much matured a lot because of that um but then I think it's just in general made me um appreciate the fact that because I, I didn't really tell anyone to to be quite honest at school or anything like that or, or certainly not until at least a year after really it had happened um but um it, it certainly made me appreciate the fact that a lot of people have things going on behind closed doors that 
you just don't realize half the time and so we've got a kind of look out for each other and cut each other a bit of slack sometimes right then uh remember we'll be announcing what the question will be for you sending your opinions on at the end of tonight's show so make sure you're ready for that for the chance to be featured in this segment of next week's show we've reached time for the first sunbreak this evening so we'll be back very soon Hello and welcome back to To Be Discussed. So let's move on to our second discussion of this evening. And we are asking, has populism peaked? So I think before we go on to any further, we have to understand what populism is. And populism is it refers to a range of political stances that emphasise the idea of the people. And often that group of people like to say they are against the elite. Now, Normally, um, the populism refers to political movements like as we've seen in Brexit and we saw with Donald Trump. And you have populism on the right wing and the left wing as well. Now, obviously, as time has gone on, we have seen Brexit happen and um, we've seen the Brexit parties come about again and, and very high votes go on in that. But in Europe as well, we have seen populism gather a lot of momentum. But has it started to lose its steam? Is it starting to to run out? Callum, what are your thoughts? I think, I, I mean, it probably slightly depends upon where we're talking about, because I think with the thing with populism and, and, and politics in general is that I think it it's never the case that every country in the world has a populist leader at one time and then no one has one it, it, it's very much a cyclical thing um and whilst one country will completely wholeheartedly support populist policies and people another party will just come uh, another country rather will just completely reject it you know if, if we look at an example in say in within a european context context um germany to a certain extent has rejected populism although the uh alternative for germany party have um picked up some votes by and large they have rejected populist candidates whereas obviously if we look in uh hungary or possibly you could make a case in the united kingdom there's been much more significant votes for populist candidates or populist ideas um and so on that basis i'd say that in certain countries populism probably has peaked um i I think if we consider obviously the the kind of quintessential populist donald trump uh, i'd say donald trump has i i believe quite likely and i don't want to jinx it so touch wood I do think that Donald Trump has peaked, actually. Uh, I I mean, we've seen this week he's trying to call for the election to be delayed um, at the end of this year, um, which to me screams of the fact he thinks he's not going to win. Um, And we also see the latest polls suggesting that Joe Biden, his his rival for the presidency in the election, uh, Joe Biden does look on course to win. Of course, we can't be complacent about that. Uh, and I would say also Joe Biden's not exactly the best candidate anyway, but he's better <laughs> than Trump. 
Um, but of course, but it does seem to point to the fact that populism is receding in um, in America. And, and also, if we look, if we can class Boris Johnson as a populist, and I mean, I'm not sure that we quite can in the same way. Uh, but if we can, uh, Boris Johnson, I would suggest is he may well end up winning the next election, but he's certainly suffering a bit politically at the moment due to a large extent, I think, because Labour are in a better position. They've got a more popular leader themselves. Uh, and then if we look in Brazil, the approval ratings for their populist leader, Bolsonaro, um, he, he has had over 50% disapproval rating now for the last few months, according to their polls. So that, to me, suggests that in these places, populism may be well has peaked. Uh, what, what do you think, George? It's always an incredibly kind of interesting thing to look at populism and how it has affected um, certain countries uh, in terms of the way that people vote. Um, I think that we as the United Kingdom have been kind of quite unique in, in the way that we have gone around populism. Um, and the way it's affected our, our vote. And, and I think our, um, we've been very lucky in seeing the development of, of how populism has, has affected everything. Um, I think that the biggest downfall of those that are um, seen as figureheads for populism is when they get elected into office. Um, as Callum has rightly said, if you look at Donald Trump, um, during the campaign, he had a lot of rallying support and, and now he's in the office. Um, that support has, has slowly dwindled. Um, I think that can be backed up with evidence if you look at someone like Nigel Farage. Nigel Farage is someone that has never successfully become into office. But I would argue that because of that, it has allowed him to keep a level of um, kind of, I suppose, success. I mean, obviously, it depends what you would argue as success in politics, but um, a, a level of, of people behind him that has allowed him to really have a an effect on the two big parties, which are Labour um, and the Conservative Party. Um, I mean, you know, he, he brought UKIP about, which was a populist party, and then he brought a, a party such as the Brexit Party, which, again, was a populist party. Um, and I do really think that it's it's something that um, unfortunately is often the big downfall of, of a lot of these kind of populist movements is that as soon as they kind of get to where they want, they completely lose steam um, and it, they struggle to get anywhere now. And I mean, if you look at the Brexit Party now. They, what, what have they got to go on now? There, there is very little for them to actually kind of capitalise on and, and make a success of. Um, Callum, I, a lot of what we are saying is, is very much um, the right wing side of, of populism. Obviously, the left wing side of populism is, is, is about and it's about being against those kind of big corporations and everything. And, and I suppose you could argue that there are certain aspects of the Labour Party that do um, definitely reform to that kind of point of view but do you think that it was more seen under uh, Corbyn than we'd see it under Kia and do you think in, because of that we might see a left wing kind of populist movement from a different party or even a new party in this country I think yeah we definitely saw more left wing populism under uh, Corbyn than what we were under Keir Starmer uh, I think, yes, it probably then does place a, a slight threat that because probably pop people that want to support kind of left wing populist ideas probably make up a, a, a significant minority of Labour voters. 
and therefore if they were to go and back another vehicle back another horse so to speak they well they could become something of an electoral force but I'd, i would say probably that because of the uk's electoral system mm. that's quite unlikely uh probably the best place party to to kind of lead the torch for for a kind of left-wing populist movement that isn't um that isn't within the labor party uh, would probably be the green party simply because i don't although the lib dems used to probably be the flag bearer for that if you consider the stereotype was that they were um socks and sandals wearing hippies <laughs> uh the the liberal democrats uh nowadays i think post coalition that's very unlikely to happen whereas i think that kind of demographic maybe might well get behind um the green party but i think probably to truthfully in comparison to when Ed Miliband was leader, when there probably was a significant kind of counterculture that didn't want to back him because they didn't think he was radical enough. I think there's probably even amongst those that want to support a more left wing figure, a more populist figure. There is also an acceptance of the fact they need to win at the end of the day. So I, I can't see that there'll be a significant kind of movement against Labour towards another kind of left-wing populist party, not at this moment anyway. Um, mm. what, what do you think, George? Yeah, no, I, I do totally agree with you. And I think that it would be hard to try and kind of pinpoint where a, a left-wing populist movement would be about and, and what it would be about. Um, I think that there's always been quite an obvious kind of uh, path for right-wing populism to take. And um, for me personally, I think that that path is, is less clear for when it comes to kind of left-wing populists yeah. um, and, I, and I definitely think there isn't as much political room as we've seen um, with kind of UKIP and, and the Brexit party as there would be for a, a new kind of left-wing uh, populist party but I mean do you, do you think this this whole uh, populism kind of uh, increasing in Europe you could argue especially we've seen it in Italy there are some murmurs now in Spain um, Hungary do you think that we will see more of it um, with possibly um, more kind of Brexit votes going on, but obviously in different countries. I'm not sure that we'll see more kind of Brexits, but not in Britain. So like, uh, say, a Polish exit or a, a Hungarian exit or an Italian exit. I'm not sure we'll yeah. see that. But I do think that probably given we're likely to hit hard, harder economic times at the moment, um, given the facts that this in in a sense will probably make the Brexit transition not look as bad as such. I, I think we could see a um an increase again in populism in in Europe, especially because I, I can imagine they'll end up quite divided about how to respond to um coronavirus and, and i think we could well see some countries try and leave the euro whether they'll be successful or not uh we'll find out what about you george just very quickly yeah no i i do totally agree with you there callum and uh wh what way do you think this is going to go vote wise i think that our our listeners are negative so i'm gonna say they're gonna say no populism hasn't peaked uh we'll say 55 percent what about you 
Yeah, I totally agree with you on that one. Um, but there's only one way to find out, and that is for you guys to vote on this poll. Has populism peaked? And you could do that at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen. And we'll be back after this. Hello and welcome back. So for that break, we asked, has populism peaked? And to find the result of that poll, please go to our Twitter page. That's at WizRadio. Right then, time to move on to our third discussion of this evening. And we are asking, how would you rate the government's handling of the coronavirus outbreak? So there has been, or there is rather, evidence of a slight increase in the number of people in England testing positive on a nose and throat swab for coronavirus in recent weeks. Uh, That's according to the Office for National Statistics. Uh, The figures are based on its infection survey, which takes swabs from people selected at random um, homes in England. Uh, The ONS estimates that about one in 1,500 people in homes in England are infected. That's roughly 36,000 people in total, uh, with 4,200 new infections each day. Uh, Both figures are up on last week when it was estimated there were 2,800 new infections each day and that one in 2,000 people were infected in homes in England. All of this draws into question whether the government eased lockdown restrictions too soon, especially given the reintroduction of some measures in the north of England. But even prior to this, there was criticism of the government for entering lockdown too slowly and failing to properly create a test and trace system early enough. Uh, We are looking back at all of that this week and asking how maybe seven months on from COVID-19 first turning up on these shores, uh, you would rate the government's handling of the coronavirus outbreak. George, what would you say out of the following best summarises how you feel about the government's response was it very good good okay bad or very bad uh george what do you think well uh, <laughs> if we if we went back over the months um i i think i could probably say nearly all of these have been ticks for me um, as to how i would rate the government i think to start off with i i, I personally think the government did actually do a pretty good job i think um i would have rated them as good um i think that they were able to kind of control the attitude quite quite a quite well um and i think economically as well in terms of keeping people in jobs getting the furlough scheme in place i think they did they were very successful with that um the biggest thing for me is that they they struggled to really and truly be able to to try and get the seriousness of this across to a lot of families um or even to uh, to even try and show the actual kind of extent of how serious this was to maybe a lot of younger people as well. Um, And then we saw, obviously, the catastrophic events of Dominic Cummings um, and the fact that he wouldn't even um, apologise for being in the wrong. Um, I think that didn't help the government whatsoever. I I think that as time has gone on, the government were under a lot of pressure from especially businesses saying that, you know, we need to open, we need to open, otherwise we're just going to have to shut down. Um, And I think because of that, the government actually were reasonably right in opening certain businesses. Now, I don't think they did it in the right way. I think they should have introduced face masks straight off.
off when they allowed those non-essential businesses to open. Um, but I, I think it was very important to ensure that we open those businesses um, so that we could have some kind of recovery in our economy because you know as much as i do agree people's lives are important if there's no economy there then we wouldn't be able to support our nhs um, and as such support the people that are becoming ill so i i think that um that's where i think that the the back draw is for for me there and i i would say overall i am going to be uh, sit on the fence here and I'm going to say that it's been okay I think it's it would be too complimentary to say that it's been very good and I think it would be too harsh of me to say that it's been bad or very bad um, because I think there have been positives and negatives throughout this um, whole time of the coronavirus pandemic for this country um, and I think this, the government has been okay um, if we look back in hindsight Callum how about you what, what are your thoughts though where, where would you judge the uh, the government well, I tell you, my uh, my neck's aching a bit from a from a, a, a shake, a nod in my head rather, uh, agreeing <laughs> with a lot of what you were saying there, George. I mean, I slightly disagree with your overall assessment of how the government's done, but I, I would definitely echo what you're saying in terms of I think that at the time we we should accept the fact that in early on in lockdown, I think the government probably got it right. Um, in, in uh, I think they introduced lockdown when was necessary. I think they were quite clear about that and they managed to get public support for it. Uh, I think then it's around, I, I'm not sure exactly what, what kind of date it was, but I think it was around week eight or nine of lockdown um, that uh, then the Dominic Cummins incident happens or at least comes to light. Um, and I think from then it's got, quite bad the government's response i think they've recovered in parts um, but i think that definitely undermined public trust in, in what they were doing uh, and then i think when it came to announcing the easing of lockdown measures um i think as you say george they sh should have been saying wear a face mask straight away if they're now going to turn around and tell us we should be wearing them now um and i think early on there was a lot of work done to undermine faith in the idea of having face masks maybe not purposely by the government but that now is part of the reasons as a skepticism amongst some of the population i think about wearing one um at all i think though without a doubt we could say now with the benefit of hindsight and i don't want to be too critical of the government because you know hindsight is a wonderful thing and we, and we could we couldn't know how this was going going to go but i think with the benefit of hindsight we say we sh probably should have entered lockdown a little earlier or, or at least those earlier measures that the government introduced before full lockdown maybe should have been more severe to try and curb the outbreak um and so i i would say on that basis because of the decision and i don't hold the government solely culpable for that decision um but because of that decision i think there were some needless deaths that have happened to be quite frank and that's why i don't think we could say it's been an okay response i'd say it's been a bad response it hasn't been very bad but it has been bad um in 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 large parts um especially with getting us out of lockdown as as i say um george would you would you agree that with the benefit of hindsight we should have um, exited, uh, sorry, entered uh, lockdown sooner. Um, I, 
Of course, of course, of course. It's such a an incredibly powerful thing, the old uh, hindsight. Um, and I think that, y- yes, I, in hindsight, if that's purely the, the what we're looking at, then I do think, yes, of course, we should have entered lockdown earlier. But at the time... Um, you you could argue that the government were led by the scientific evidence um, and the, the government made decisions on what they were advised to do so. Um, and I totally agree that there were deaths that we could have made sure never happened if we went into lockdown earlier. But that is looking at it now on the evidence that we have now. That's not looking at the evidence that we had then. And unfortunately, I think so many times when people look at the performance of the government, they are so quick to to judge them on the evidence that they have in hand right now, not the evidence that they have in or not the evidence that the government had in hand at the time that they made those decisions. Um, and I think in, in terms of that, Callum, do you think it's kind of wrong of us to assess what the government did when we look back at it in terms of the evidence that we have now is it only fair to put the government um under ridicule on the evidence that they had because surely that gives a, a fairer assessment i i can see what you're saying and that's why I'm, i was quite clear to try and make it clear that I'm not being too critical of the government. I'm not saying that the government should resign or Boris Johnson should resign or anything like that. Uh, I want to be categoric about that. Um, But we still can say with with this extra data we have available, maybe the government didn't have it available then. I mean, certainly they couldn't know what the death toll would end up being and things like that. We can then still, based upon that, say, well, it would have been better for the government to have taken more proactive action. Uh, and and I think that we do forget about the fact that, that, that some of the reasons why we struggled early on during the outbreak were maybe not directly because of the government, but were a result possibly of government economic policy. Uh, if we consider the fact we didn't have enough testing kits uh, at the start, we didn't really put in place a proper test and trace regime. Um, and the fact that funding had been cut for um, looking into the idea of pandemic responses and, and how to to react to that. I think when you when you consider all of those things, OK, again, it's with a massive benefit of hindsight of what was to come. We can say that it, it's a damn shame we didn't have put more money into proactively getting testing and, or, or proactively um, looking into kind of pandemic response stuff and, and things like that. Uh, I mean, would you say that's a fair assessment, George, to, to say that, OK, yes, we can't be too overtly critical of the government for this. But, you know, based we can learn from this experience and say that maybe we should always be putting aside a set, certain amount of money for pandemic planning. Oh, I absolutely do think so. And I think it's rather kind of dangerous to, to go about saying, oh, well, it's so rare for pandemics to happen. So we don't really need to fund it. And uh, and I believe that's kind of the approach that the government definitely had um, yeah. in terms of not allowing funding to be there. But we've seen how catastrophic and dangerous pandemics can be for the country and for the economy. So it would seem kind of ludicrous now to to make sure that um, there isn't the funding there. We've got to make sure there is funding. But um, a question that I wanted to ask you, and, and it's kind of not actually um what the question is that we're asking today but 
if we if I was to change this question to how would you rate the opposition's handling of the coronavirus outbreak? And when I say that, I mean, in terms of challenging the government, in terms of um, sometimes agreeing with the government. How do you think the opposition has dealt with this? Would you rate them very good, good, OK, bad or very bad? Um, hmm. So it's a re really interesting question. I mean, because on the one hand, I'm inclined to say good. Because I think they've, you know, they've they've pulled themselves back from the brink in a sense, Labour, certainly since um, Keir Starmer's taken over. But we must consider the fact that almost every step of the way, Labour's been supportive of what the government's broadly been doing. And we shouldn't lose sight of that. Um, you know, when lockdown restrictions were being eased, um, Labour supported that. When lockdown was introduced, Labour supported that. They weren't calling, as far as I'm aware, for lockdown to be introduced any earlier. So just because they've got the benefit of not being in government in that they don't have to take the hard decisions, I don't think we should pretend that they've played a blinder and that if Labour were in charge, things would necessarily be greatly different because I just don't think that's the case. Uh, I'm going to presume you're going to kind of um, agree with me there, George. Yeah, actually, do you know what? I 100% do agree with you. And I think that it kind of just shows that the this was less about kind of political decisions because um, as Callum's rightly said, I think the Labour Party, if they were in power, would have made very similar decisions that the Conservative Party did in terms of bringing in lockdown and everything, because that just shows how the government was advised by the scientific evidence and the scientific advisers at that time. Um, and I think that it is all well and good, an opposition, you know, saying, oh, we would have done this differently. But they, they have the advantage of saying that um, and to try and make themselves look good. But I, overall, I do think that the opposition has actually been reasonably good. And I think they could have, if they wanted to be um, rather a bit more kind of uh, harsh and pointy, um, they could have um, been a lot more kind of political in, in terms of things played. And I do believe that if Jeremy Corbyn was still in charge of the Labour Party, I think we would have seen a lot more political games played um, about this coronavirus outbreak and everything, rather than support that Kia has shown to the government. Do you kind of agree with that? Yeah, I agree. But I think Keir's played that well because the the public opinion has oh, yeah. been that we're facing an unprecedented time. So let's let's pull together, let's muck together and, and do this. And I think it was from a purely non kind of how this is going to play with the public perspective. I think it was the right decision to take as well. Um, how do you think this poll is going to go, George? I... Uh, I'm going to say that overall people are going to say okay if I'm honest with you. I really do. I think they're going to say okay. How about you, Callum? Yeah, I, I think they're going to say okay as well, to be honest, because it, it, I mean it has been unprecedented, hasn't it? Mm. Um, right then, it's time for you guys to vote away on this question. How would you rate the government's handling of the coronavirus outbreak? Uh, you could do it at wizardradio.co.uk for us listen, and those options again are very good, good, okay, bad, or very bad. Uh, and we'll be back very soon. Hello and welcome back. So for the break, we asked, how would you rate the government's handling of the coronavirus outbreak? And to find out results to that poll, head over to our Twitter page. That's at WizRadio. Right. OK, so let's move on to the fourth discussion of this evening. And we're asking, do you believe in karma? So karma is often that that 
action that is is said to take place if if you do something bad and then something bad happens to you or sometimes even if you do something good and then something good happens to you people will turn around to you and say oh that's karma and it's it happens quite a lot i think i think a lot of the times you will do something that maybe necessarily isn't that good and it does get turned around on you and something bad happens to you you know um the the other day i i said something um to my mum and i then turned around and accidentally walked into a door and she said oh that's karma for being horrible to your mother um so <laughs> i think there are kind of certain things that happen like that but callum do you do you believe in karma do you think that if you say something horrible to me there's going to be something horrible happens back to you no i don't believe in karma <laughs> uh, <laughs> see I, I i wish karma was a thing i i really do and i wish that the world was fair in a sense in that when people do bad things they hopefully within this life uh they they face some kind of equal retribution and things like that but i just don't think that that's the case i think bad people get away with bad things sometimes unfortunately i think on the balance of things the worst things people don't get away with but but even so there's some people who you know they're not monsters by any means but the, but they're not necessarily the nicest people but they get away and they get on with life or they get on in life rather um and and, and so on that basis although it sounds really negative I, I just don't believe in karma in that sense. It's certainly in my experience, I, I haven't seen any reason to to kind of believe that 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 kind of philosophy of what goes around comes around actually uh, exists. What What do you think, George? Yeah, I think that um, even though I kind of joked about it in the introduction, if 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 it was if it was such a thing to take place, then we would see those that do commit horrendous kind of crimes actually um, be faced with ultimate karma and things like that. But unfortunately, we do do we just don't see it. Um, and I think it would be a beautiful thing to happen if it if it was the case. And and I mean the the kind of question is, Callum, do you think if if karma did exist, where um, bad actions were treated and came brought about bad actions on themselves do you think that we wouldn't have to see kind of police officers in place and things like that because surely bad things would sort themselves out so, yeah i was just imagining that someone i don't know like mugs an old lady and then they're just like walking along and like <laughs> they they're just like all of their um their wallet and everything just falls out or something and it just just by nature just does it um what was the question again george sorry <laughs> so because of because of that fact possibly happening do you believe then that um in society we wouldn't have to see police officers and law enforcement in place oh yeah um <laughs> i don't uh i mean yes i suppose actually i was about to say no but i i suppose you're yeah if 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 karma really truly was something that we knew and it was like a law of nature that karma happens uh, then I suppose in a sense you wouldn't really need police officers and you wouldn't need that because it would kind of sort itself out in a way. Um, I mean, I'm thinking that if, if that actually happened, I mean, how much nicer a world would we live in in many ways? Uh, I, I, I feel sure that people would just be nicer to each other and half of the bad things in the world just wouldn't exist. I mean, it's very idealistic and it's never going to happen, but... Mm we can kind of dream i mean do you, do you agree that that 
almost order that's wrong in the world would would go if if it was a kind of law in nature that karma actually happens oh absolutely i i really really do think so but then i i would kind of then counter argue that with the fact that possibly you would never kind of learn any lessons because obviously um if things just automatically correct themselves if you did something bad then i would feel as if that you it would it would be hard for you to learn lessons and, and, and learn from mistakes and things. And um, I think that, uh, yes, a, a kind of a lovely ultimate world like that where things sorted themselves out would, would be lovely. At the same time, it, it just wouldn't feel right, I suppose, because we, we're so used to living in the, in the world that we live in today. Um, but no, I mean, do you think that do you think that it is just simply by chance that, you know, as I gave an example earlier, when I said something to um, my mum and then I accidentally walked into the door, do you think they are just simply by chance? And um, it's just kind of just happens to the fact that your uh, your karma as said is is there yeah i think it is it's just pure coincidence really i mean george how often have you said bad things to your mum just I a mean, question <laughs> not not very often to be honest with you but um, how many so times I, have you hit a door after um just the not, once probably yeah it was just the once yeah yeah so that that's why karma doesn't unfortunately exist if if george was hitting his face into a door more be but we'd be living in a calmer world it'd be lovely wouldn't it george was that a pun there no (laughs) like a pun i can't believe we haven't said karma chameleon or something at all to do with this george terrible terrible stuff well how do you think this poll is going to go (laughs) can swerve it um (laughs) i think that I think most people actually will probably believe in karma. I'm going to going to stick with another 55%. What about you? I'm going to say 45% um, that people will believe. But it's now time for our next on break. And I do hope it is karma, 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 chameleon. But there is only one way to find out the song. If, if, if there is a that song or if... Um, which way this poll is going to go and to do that please vote on this on wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen and we'll be back after hopefully karma 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 chameleon Hello and welcome back. So uh, before that break, we asked, do you believe in karma? And to find out the results of that, please go to our Twitter page. That's at Wiz Radio. And I think before that break, we kind of uh, had a little bit of evidence about karma because I completely mucked up the outro of that uh, topic there. But anyway... (laughs) Um, it is time for Carol and I to say bye bye so thanks very much for listening to To Be Discussed with Cup and Gur. We do really hope you've enjoyed this episode. Uh, before uh, I get on to what, what we'll be discussing in the first segment next week, I'd just like to say uh, happy birthday to George. It was his birthday on, uh, uh, on Wednesday. <laughs> thanks, um, and uh, yeah, so everyone send him a nice happy birthday message over at, what's it now, at George Cup, is it? It is. Yeah, so send him a lovely happy birthday message. We, you're one in a million, George. That oh, doesn't, thanks, not Alex. necessarily a good thing. No, it's not. <laughs> right then. So as mentioned earlier, for the first segment of next week's show, we'd like you to send in your questions, actually, for me and George to answer. You can send in those questions by email to station at wizardradio.co.uk or through Twitter. That's at wizardradio. 
So remember, we want you to send in your questions for George and I to answer, and we're really, really looking forward to trying to answer those next week. But it's now time for George and I to say ciao for now. So I've been Callum Gurr. And I've been the now 23 George Scarf. Oh, I feel so old. Uh, <laughs> thanks, thanks very much for listening, everybody. We'll be back next week at the same time and the same place for another episode of To Be Discussed. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.